Take your Bibles out this morning, if you would please, and turn back to 2 Timothy chapter 4 as we pick up on part 2 of the message we started last week, Finishing Well. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. As a follow-up to the, uh, to the verses we let, uh, read last week, Paul says here, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me but also to all who have loved his appearing. Father, we thank you for these words that we have been reading in 2 Timothy. A moving letter filled with a great deal of passion and emotion. As Paul is giving a charge to his son in the faith. uh, To pick up where he has left off. And to continue on for the glory of God. Lord, we thank you for the life and the witness of the Apostle Paul and that he did indeed fight the good fight and he kept the faith. And today we're blessed because he did. Because you used this man to write most of our New Testament that we hold in our hands this morning. Lord, may we be challenged by his words to not only start well, but to finish well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Archaeus was a Greek ruler and he was not loved by his people. And consequently, from time to time, there would be many people out to take his life. One night as he was going to a feast, a messenger approached him with a sealed envelope and said said to him, Sir, read this. There is an urgent message within. Your life may depend upon it. Archaeus said, I'll take it, but I will read it tomorrow. Feasting tonight, serious matters tomorrow. And the messenger said, no sir, you need to read this letter. Archaeus interrupted him and said, feasting tonight, serious matters tomorrow. Well, tomorrow never came for Archaeus. You see, that night at the feast, there was a dagger that found its way to his heart. Had he only read that letter, he would have heeded the warning that was contained within. Folks, it is easy to put off the important issues of life, but the Word of God gives you and me a constant reminder that we must uh, make serious matters a priority. Tomorrow for you and me may never arrive. And for sure there is coming a day for each of us that tomorrow will not arrive. How are we living? What are we doing with our lives? What is important to us? What are we pouring our time and energy and resources into? 
That's what this little letter in the New Testament has been about. Urging Timothy to live with passion and to run his race. And to make a priority uh, upon the gospel. Timothy is to finish his life just like Paul without any regrets. I'm glad as we get to the end of this letter, the Apostle Paul is able to look back on his life and he has no regrets whatsoever. I think if we were to ask the Apostle Paul, Paul, would you do anything differently? He would say, absolutely not. Give me another life to live and I would live it the same way I've lived this one as a drink offering poured out to the Lord. And folks, what we see in our passage this morning is that Christian faith that is lived out this way can have nothing but peace and assurance. First of all, I want you to notice with me this morning that Paul gives words of faith about his present. Words of faith about his present. He says, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. There's a great deal of emotion in these words. He knows that very likely this time he is not going to be released from prison. He knows that any day now Nero may call upon him to be killed. And in fact, we know that Nero did in fact do that very thing. He gave the order for the Apostle Paul to be beheaded. But there's no fear. There's no dread. There's only faith. There's only peace. There's only joy. Paul is reconciled to his own death. And I hope that is something that you also have done. That you are reconciled to the time of of your death. Because if Jesus tarries, we know that every one of us, there's coming a day that we're going to be in the same position that Paul is in, not necessarily dying as a martyr, but nonetheless at the very end of our life. And will we be able to utter words like this? Will we be able to say, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. You see, the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die and after this, the judgment. You and I have an appointment with death. We have an appointment to meet God. The Bible says there's coming that day that we are all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And in that day, we're going to have to give an account of how we've lived our lives. Have we come to faith in Jesus Christ? And what have we done with our faith? Have we lived out our faith in everyday life? You're going to have to give an account of that. And I am too. Are you ready for that? It amazes me today how people in our culture live as though this life and this world is all there is. You look at the way they're living and you see no investment whatsoever in matters of eternity. 
Reminds me of that story Jesus told of that farmer who had that bumper crop on one occasion. And and he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down all my barns and I'm going to build bigger and better ones. And I'm going to fill them up and then I'm going to sit down and I'm going to take it easy the rest of my life. And say, soul, eat, drink and be merry because you have everything you could ever need. And God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is going to be required of you. Just because you and I might have everything we either need or want doesn't mean that we're going to have the time to enjoy it. What a shame that most people on planet earth don't prepare for that which is going to happen to each and every one of us. You've seen the TV show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? If you've seen that show, you're familiar with those lifelines each contestant can use when they're uncertain about the correct answer. And I think that's how a lot of people are living their lives today. Some choose the 50-50. They hope they're going to make it to heaven. They think they've got at least a 50-50 chance. And so they're trying to live in such a way to improve their own odds. Some people phone a friend. In other words, they just do what their friends do and they think what their friends think. They're counting on their friends to be right instead of relying on the Word of God. Some ask the audience. They want to go with the majority view. Whatever the majority view happens to be at the time, whatever fad happens to be coming down the pike, that's what they go with. What a sad way to live. Folks, the Apostle Paul was ready to die because his lifeline was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the Lord of his life. Christ had captured him on the road to Damascus and he was converted. He was born again and he was never the same after that. What was amazing to him was that how God had captured him by his grace before it was too late. Paul writes to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 3 how he had put all of his trust, he had put all his eggs in the basket of his background and his heritage. He said, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, born of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day. As far as keeping the law, I was blameless. But you remember what he went on to say, whatever was gained to me, I now count as loss for the sake of Christ everything changed when Paul met Christ his life had literally been poured out for the sake of the gospel he says here in verse 6 for I am already being poured out as a drink offering now the thought there is of a libation a drink offering now that thought, that concept carries us back to the, to the uh, sacrifices in the Old Testament. There was the drink offering, the libation. And the priest would walk up to the altar and he would pour out a, a drink offering, usually red wine. He would pour it at the base of the altar. He would pour it all around the sacrifice and at the base of the offering. Now what was so significant about a libation was what it symbolized. 
Because see, when you turn that container up and you poured all the liquid out, it symbolized that there was nothing left. Everything was poured out. Everything was gone. There was nothing held back. And Paul says that's how his life for Jesus Christ has been. Poured out as a libation. A drink offering. He's not held anything back. There's nothing kept in reserve. Now folks, that's a testimony to you and me. Because how oftentimes do people hold a little bit back for themselves? I'll give this to the Lord and I'll give that to the Lord. But I'm kind of holding this little thing back here for myself. Paul says, no, that's not how I've lived my life. My life has been poured out as a drink offering. No reserve, nothing left. I've committed everything to him. And that's why he said to the Romans in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your lives a living sacrifice to God. A drink offering, a libation. I want to ask you this morning, what is your life being poured out for? If you think of every day of your life as being poured out, what is it being poured out for? Because you and I, every single one of us, are exchanging a day of our life for something. What are you exchanging every day of your life for? And is it worthy of your affections? He goes on to say here, the time of my departure has come. The word departure here is interesting. It was used in several ways at this time. It was used of soldiers who would break camp. They would take down their tents and they would pack everything up and they would move on. They would depart from that destination. That's basically what Paul is saying. The tent pegs of this life are being torn down. But remember what he said in 2 Corinthians 5. If this life collapses like a tent, we have a building from God. The word departure here was also used of ships out in a harbor that would be tied to their moorings. But they would untie them and they would raise the anchors and they would set out to the high seas. Finally, it was used of animals that would come in from working all day long. They would be tied to a yoke. They would be unhitched from the yoke that they might rest from their labors. The book of Revelation gives an analogy to that, doesn't it? It says, John says, uh, the Lord says, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they might rest from their labors. Paul says that's how his life has been. It's been poured out, so now the time of his departure has come. He's been unhitched, untied from the yoke of this life. He's he's setting out, out of the harbor of this life, out into the high seas of eternity. He's breaking camp and he's going out there to be with the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord. The time of my departure has come. Folks, what strikes me about these words is what peace there is. Again, there's no dread, there's no fear, there's only faith, there's only joy. Paul is looking forward to what he is about to see. 
Not only words of faith about his present, but I want you to notice also with me that there are words of victory about his past. Look at verse 7. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul had words of faith about his present because he was able to offer words of victory about his past. Now to speak about his past, he uses three different images here. The image of a soldier, the image of an athlete, and the image of a steward. First of all, he uses the image of a soldier in battle. He says here, uh, I have fought the good fight. Now, folks, if you were to examine the average Christian's life closely, you would probably find that they only appear to be fighting for the same things that the average man of the world is fighting for. They don't seem to be fighting the good fight of faith at all. But Paul compares the Christian life to a fight, and he says, I have fought the good fight. Notice what kind of fight it is. It's the good fight. The beautiful fight. The Greek word is kalos, which means beautiful or noble. You see, there are bad fights. There are those kind of fights that you probably remember as a kid out on some school playground somewhere. And how sad that too many adults continue to fight those kind of fights. There are bad fights. And then there are fights that are just not worth it. I mean, a pit bull can easily whip a skunk, but is it really worth it? <laughs> Bad fights, worthless fights. But there is one kind of fight that is good. It is the good fight. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Why is the Christian life compared to a good fight? Well, it's a good fight because we battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. In John 15, Jesus talks about our battle, our struggle against the world. He said, if the world hates you, you know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, uh, this world hates you for that very reason. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted you, they will also, I mean, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you and if they kept my word they will also keep yours we battle against the world we battle against the flesh even the apostle Paul did in Romans 7 he says for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh for the willing is present in me but the doing of the good is not for the good that I want I do not do but I practice the very evil that I do not want can you identify with him in that sure you can the battle against the flesh 
And then there's the battle against the devil. Paul says in Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not simply against flesh and blood, but rather against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Folks, that's the good fight. And Paul says, I have fought the good fight. He lived as a soldier of the cross. Remember what he said to Timothy about that in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He said, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he might please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Folks, as a soldier of the cross, be careful what you allow yourself to get entangled with. Most things that you and I are engaged in are probably not worth our time. Some of them might even be dangerous entanglements. Dangerous to your testimony. Well then Paul changes from the image of a soldier to the image of an athlete. He points out that there is a race to run and finish. He says, I have finished the race. Paul not only had his fight to fight, the good fight, but he had a race to run. And he said, I've run my race and I have finished my race. I want you to turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 12 because Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews, says something to you and me about this race. You see, you and I have a race to run also. Hebrews 12, the writer says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. You've got a race to run just like Paul did. The writer of Hebrews says we need to look around at this cloud of witnesses. He's speaking of those Old Testament saints he's just written about in chapter 11 of Hebrews. Look around at them. And as you look around at them on the pages of Scripture, what do you find? You find that their race was oftentimes very costly, but it was a race worth it because God rewarded each and every one of them. Not only do we need to look around at these that have gone before, but we also need to look within. Because he says there are encumbrances, there's weights and encumbrances and there's also sin which clings so closely. Is there any of that preventing you from winning your race? Hindrances or encumbrances, not necessarily bad things, but things that are keeping you from running your race and winning your race. And then there is sin. Sin that we need to lay aside. So many things in this world that we have an appetite for. I, I think of Thomas Costain's book, The Three Edwards. The battle between uh, Reynald and his little brother Edward. They were dukes in what is now Belgium. 
Reynald was a big, huge man. In fact, his nickname in the Latin simply meant fat. People called him fat. How would you like that as a nickname? Well, Edward went to war against him and won. Put him at the Newkirk Castle in, in Belgium, built a room around him. Normal-sized windows, normal-sized door. He, the normal person could have left any time he wanted to, but Reynald couldn't because he was so huge. And Edward said, you can leave any time you want. Any time you want. But then Edward had the greatest chefs of Belgium send in the finest delicacies and food every day. And Renal sat there in that room and ate and ate and ate. For 10 years he could never get out of that room simply because of his appetite. Finally when Edward died... They tore down the room so Renal could get out, but by then his health was so bad he died too within a year. Appetites, things that cling so close. The writer of Hebrews says you've got a race to run and there are some hindrances, there are some encumbrances, there are some sins, some appetites of this world that you need to lay aside. But not only look around and look within, but you need to also look up. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Run your race. Paul says here, I have run my race. I've not only fought the good fight, but I've also run my race. And I finished. I've not just started, but I have finished. And then the final image Paul switches to is that of a steward. He says there at the end of, uh, or says there in, in verse 7 at the end, he says, I have kept the faith. There's a faith to keep. Again, the image of a steward. Jesus talked about stewardship all the time in his parables. I mentioned one of those last week where he gave to one guy five talents, to another two, to another one. Each one was to be simply faithful with what he had been given. Folks, that's all the Lord is asking of you and me. Just be faithful with what he has given you. Don't compare yourself to somebody else. Just be faithful with what God has given you to do. Be a steward. Keep the faith. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. Be a steward. Keep the faith. Paul has already said to young Timothy in this letter, keep the faith, guard that good deposit that God has given you, the gospel, guard it because there are many enemies to it. And not only do you need to guard it, but also you need to entrust it to others. And he would say the same to you and me today. Faith, the Christian faith is a sacred deposit. We've got to guard it and we've got to keep it pure. But we've also got to spread it and share it. That's what stewards do. 
And then finally here, Paul gives words of assurance about his future. He says there in verse 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You see, folks, there is a reward at the end of our journey. There is a crown crown and the Bible calls it an imperishable crown and it is laid up in heaven Peter says one of these days we're going to obtain an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and it'll never fade away and it is reserved in heaven for you it is for all who have loved his appearing Do you have that kind of assurance about your future? Folks, I am so glad that Christianity is a resurrection faith. Amen? Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, that passage I mentioned a moment ago, if this earthly tent is torn down, we have a building from God. We groan in this tent, longing to be clothed with what we're going to be clothed with on high one day. Christianity is a resurrection faith. Jesus changes your life in this world. He gives you abundant life in this world. But he also saves you and gets you ready for the next, for eternity. And Paul had the assurance of that being his future. That this life, this life that he had was not all there was. He was glad to pour out this life for the sake of Jesus Christ. He was glad to do that. Folks, listen. The Bible says without apology there is only one way to heaven. And his name is Jesus. There's a bit of mystery about heaven because we've never seen heaven before. We've never been there. But we have the promise of the one who came from there. He died for us. He rose again from the dead and he ascended back to the heavenly father. He's promised us that he's coming again one day. That where he is there we may be also. It's a place where he's making all things new. There's not going to be any suffering or sickness or pain. All we have is God's promise to go on but guess what God's promise is enough Paul said there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness the saints of God are going to reign with Christ one day folks don't buy into the lie that everybody makes it Everybody doesn't make it. Listen to what Jesus said in Revelation 21. He said, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. In Revelation 22, he goes on to say, Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood not everybody makes it 
But Paul knew that he was in Jesus. And because he was in Jesus, one day he was going to be where Jesus is. Folks, what a great passage this is in chapter 4. Before we close out this passage though this morning, I want to point out a couple of things. The first thing I want to point out that we glean from this passage is that the Christian life is to be lived in the present tense. In the present tense. I don't know about you, but I'm getting so tired of this brand of Christianity that gives the impression that at some point in your life, all you had to do was walk an aisle and say a quick prayer and get your fire insurance and then go out and live like the devil and somehow or another, that's okay. That's not what's communicated here. Let's read these words again, what Paul says here. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. What do you see there? You see present tense. If it was real when you walked an aisle, I'm not criticizing that because the beginning of the Christian life is, is critical. But if it was real when you walked an aisle and prayed a prayer and made a profession of faith, then your faith is going to be lived out in the present. And if it's not lived out in the present, that's probably a pretty good sign it was never authentic to begin with. Has your life been changed? And then secondly, I, I would say that it points out that the Christian life gives testimony of itself. John talks about this in 1 John. Gives testimony of itself. We know that we know Him because we love His commandments. We love the Word of God. We love the people of God. We love the work of God. And all of that gives testimony of the authenticity of our faith. We live out our faith present tense. And then what, what we're doing, what our life is about is giving evidence, giving testimony of our faith. If you don't love the Word of God and you don't love the work of God and you don't love the people of God, then you need to do like Paul said to the Corinthians and examine yourselves to see if you're really in the faith or not. Because true faith gives evidence of itself. And it's lived out. We live a changed life. We fight the good fight. We run the race. We keep the faith. But we do so in full assurance that God is going to be true to his word. And there's coming that day that the saints will reign with Christ. Finish well. Finish well. Live your life in such a way that it'll be a testimony. You'll leave a legacy. You'll finish well and pass the baton on to others. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer with me a moment this morning. This morning I want to invite you to come to Christ if you've never done so. 
But if you have come to Christ, I want you to realize that your life is to be poured out for Him. Is there anything that you have held back in reserve? Give those things up. Surrender those things to Him. Understand that from the time you rise in the morning till the time you retire in the evening, life is to be like a drink offering poured out for him. Live your life like a good soldier of the cross. Run your Christian life in such a way to finish your race. Be a faithful steward. Folks, understand the hope that you and I have as believers. Live faithfully to the Lord now, knowing that in the difficult moments of life, there is coming a day, a glorious day, that you will reign with Him. Lord, we thank you for the testimony of the Apostle Paul. Who finished well. What an example his life leaves for Christians in the church today. Lord help us to understand this is not just preacher talk. From one preacher to another in the book of 2 Timothy. It is words of challenge to every believer. God, I pray for those this morning who might be in our midst who need to start the race and start the good fight. But Lord, I assume I'm talking to most who have done that and I pray that we would finish well. And that our lives would be a testimony to the authenticity of our Christian faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.